Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Language. Today I'm talking to Prakash Mondal about language, mind and computation, in which the author sets out to explore and clarify some of the foundational issues in linguistic theory. In this interview, we discuss the general aims of the project he's undertaking and its analogy to the exploration of the logical underpinnings of other disciplines such as mathematics. Today I'm talking to Prakash Mondal. Welcome to New Books in Language. Today I'm talking to Prakash Mondal about language, mind and computation, in which the author sets out to explore and clarify some of the foundational issues in linguistic theory. In this interview, we discuss the general aims of the project he's undertaking and its analogy to the exploration of the logical underpinnings of other disciplines such as mathematics. Today I'm talking to Prakash Mondal about his book Language, Mind and Computation, in which he explores and critiques some of the foundational assumptions of modern linguistic theory. Rakesh, what motivated you to write this book? Uh, well, uh, thank you, Chris, uh, for this opportunity. Uh, um, well, uh, there are a few things uh, that I would like to mention here. Uh, well, uh, when I was an undergraduate student, uh, let's say 10 years back, uh, when I landed upon Chomsky's syntactic structures, I got something extremely attractive about uh, modern linguistic theory, which was delineated in uh, uh, formal details uh, in a tiny book. Uh, and then when I uh, read uh, aspects of the theory of syntax, I found the theory far more attractive um, and then uh, it uh, appealed to me so much that I thought I would be a generative linguist. Uh, but as I moved forward uh, over the years and studied more and more and uh, tried to understand more of generative grammar as such, there was something that seemed to me extremely wrong and uh, fundamentally uh, disturbing, something which is, uh, which is innocuously uh, taken for granted in the whole of uh, generative grammar. And then um, I wanted to uh, understand what kind of criticisms uh, have already been uh, in vogue or have already been uh, uh, placed in the intellectual uh, arena of uh, intellectual thinking. And then uh, when I looked upon uh, different uh, criticisms of uh, generative grammar, roughly speaking, uh, I found three important uh, lines of critique. These are uh, psycholinguistic critiques, and then uh, critiques which uh, pertain to syntax per se, for example. And the third line of critique is uh, mainly uh, computational or mathematical. So when I first looked at uh, uh, let's say the theoretical critique, the critique that pertains to syntax per se. Well, uh, what I found is that most of the critiques uh, that have um, been in the market so far have critiqued the Chomskyan position in the sense that they have said it is uh, it is the interface between syntax and semantics that has not been um, has not been properly addressed because semantics has been just uh, pushed into the background by uh, by not by not incorporating semantics uh, as part of the theory of of generative grammar. And uh, it was part of the (coughs) critique that also uh, 
resisted uh, the throwing away of generative semantics in the history of generative linguistics. So part of the critique in the theoretical linguistics tradition, um, I mean, concentrated on uh, insisting that uh, the semantic component is important for any syntactic theory and it should be incorporated in mainstream theoretical linguistics and uh, the exercising of the ghost of generative semantics should uh, should have i mean must have been as i mean a severe folly a kind of a mistake which has been committed by generative grammarians so that's uh, the critique from the theoretical linguistics uh, side uh, but then when i looked at uh, the psycholinguistics <coughs> uh, line of critique uh, most often what i found is that uh, the critique uh, concentrated mainly on the opposition between competence and performance and uh, the very idea that performance can be detached uh, from competence chagrined uh, I mean, many uh, psycholinguists and to the extent that uh, many claim that uh, much of competence is actually performance-based and they cannot be divorced from each other. And uh, finally, when I look, looked at uh, the mathematical or the computational uh, approach, uh, I mean, approach of criticism, what I found is that much of the work in mathematical linguistics uh, has taken uh, recursion within the generative tradition to be the main culprit. And uh, most of the critique has uh, focused on um, debunking the very idea that uh, recursion is present in, uh, in natural language, and then uh, trying to uh, throw it away from the center stage of generative grammar by trying to show that interformalism is perfectly wrong just because uh, the, just because recursion is an, at the center of the theory. Uh, from, from another perspective, when um, the computational critique is uh, viewed from a perspective in which things like uh, um, the computational complexity of the generative formalism is looked upon, and in the same way when one looks at uh, machine, learning, uh, uh, machine learning issues, especially with, uh, with the formalism of generative grammar. What I see is that uh, most of the critique uh, has concentrated upon, uh, upon the problem of uh, acquisition, uh, especially with UG uh, from a machine learning perspective. And, and, and there have been some criticisms, especially by David Johnson and Shalom Lapine, I mean, who have tried to show that uh, the entire formalism invites, uh, I mean, uh, deeper problems of computational complexity. So what I've found lacking in the entire literature is that uh, no, uh, no single theory or no single account uh, does something like this. I mean, you accept uh, the entire formalism with all its uh, axioms and uh, theorems um, as they exist, as, as they are, and then you give a free play to the entire system of formalism just to see what kind of consequences emerge from them. And once you try to figure out what kind of consequences emerge from the axioms uh, when they are given a free play in uh, dealing with dif different kinds of linguistic phenomena, uh, the consequences might lead to something very interesting. And that's what I wanted to find out. I wanted to find out what kind of consequences, I mean, in, logically speaking, will derive from the acceptance of all the axioms uh, taken for granted. And it is just to see uh, how I can undermine the entire formalism uh, by showing logical inconsistencies within the paradigm itself. So, so I thought uh, <clears throat> a better way of, uh, I mean, uh, um, attacking or critiquing the entire uh, paradigm 
is to show that the formalism inherent in it is logically inconsistent. It's like destroying the logical uh, core of the formalism uh, in its, uh, in, in, I mean, in its base. So that's what I thought about when I uh, when I went uh, went about uh, writing this book, and that's what uh, drove me to write this book. There is another thing that I would also like to mention. The only thing that uh, uh, that I find in the literature about uh, such a tendency to uh, pose basic questions about the about the formalism itself. The work uh, the work in uh, David <coughs> I mean Terence Langendwen and uh, and Paul Postel's book uh, Vastness of Natural Language lang the vastness of natural language. That's the only book which I found uh, which uh, which I found that uh, that demonstrates uh, some logical problems with the formalism itself. So. This is one book uh, that also um, inspired me to some extent to uh, write something of this kind. So I'd say uh, there have been various uh, sources from which I got the inspiration to write uh, a book of this kind. Yes, I mean, it's a very interesting approach and slightly unusual in as much as, I mean, my impression of the field is that most of the people who have advanced, for example, the psycholinguistic or computational critiques have at some point found themselves breaking away intellectually from the from the generative tradition and relatively few people seem to have gone back and uh, and attempted to criticize it foundationally in these ways postal being perhaps an exception notably right. um do you feel that these are these are foundational issues that we should all be grappling with no matter what our uh, our theoretical persuasion within linguistics broadly well uh, that's an interesting question that we should uh, ask ourselves i mean uh, linguistics as a discipline has, uh, I think, advanced to a level where I think we now ask questions about the biology of language, uh, the computational uh, nature of language, and also issues about how we learned a language. Language, and that's exactly the question which I think uh, uh, drove Chomsky to to wed the mental component to language. I mean, if you look at uh, syntactic structures, uh, no discussion was about the mental component. Even in aspects, uh, there was. A subtle point about, uh, I mean, UG and also the mental representation. But un uh, until the minimalist program, we don't see anything, uh, anything that approaches approaches mentalism. So once we land upon the minimalist program, we see that uh, the men the mentalist conception has been fully elaborated upon um, in, in in that book. And then from that onwards, uh, the, the formalism, the entire formalism has been weighted to, weighted to a rich mentalist uh, position. So I feel somehow uh, this position has got uh, its disastrous uh, consequences which have been overlooked. On the one hand, uh, there have been a conception of the human mind uh, which has uh, the linguistic component uh, which is conceptualized in terms of the language faculty. But at the same time, uh, the notion of computation has also been attached uh, to the particular mental component, which is part of the human mind. And when we get this trinity of uh, language, uh, I mean, lang the linguistic faculty, um, its mental instantiation, and its computational nature, I mean, in the sense that uh, the linguistic faculty uh, is such that it, um, it, it houses uh, a kind of uh, computational system which generous utterances, uh, sentences, which can be taken to be strings. And um, I mean, um, largely speaking, uh, uh, this trinity of language, 
a mental instantiation and uh, its computational nature bleed to a kind of flux of issues which uh, to my mind have not caught the attention of uh, modern theoretical linguists. Even though we have uh, progressed a lot in our understanding of language in our uh, empirical, empirical discoveries and in our uh, theoretical developments, but I feel somehow uh, unless we address the fundamental issues about the trinity of connections between uh, the language faculty, its computational nature, and its mental instantiation, I think uh, it. I mean, I think uh, uh, the very foundations, the very foundations cannot be cannot be held responsible for the developments that we right now see in our empirical advances as well as uh, theoretical uh, developments. So somehow I feel unless we uh, look back and look at the foundations at first and the foundations that arose mainly with the minimalist program which, uh, which weighted computation and, uh, and mentalism to the human language. So unless we look back and then see what's really wrong with the foundation itself. I think no matter how much progress we make in understanding uh, linguistic phenomena in diverse uh, kinds of languages, uh, the foundations are going to be shaky and ultimately the entire monument uh, erected on the foundations is going to collapse. You uh, draw the analogy sort of um, both, both theoretically and to a certain extent methodologically with the foundational work on the axiomatization of mathematics from the 20th century. Right. And uh, methods rather analogous to Gödel's um, the, the use of Gödel sentences and the proof of incompleteness theorem. Right. Um, could you could you summarise how you see that analogy playing out? Well, that's a good analogy uh, brought <coughs> brought out by you. Uh, well, uh, there was a time when uh, Hilbert and uh, Bertrand Russell tried to axiomatize the whole of mathematics by trying to compress uh, the entire system of mathematics and to reduce them to just a few uh, set of uh, axioms um, which can be founded, let's say, on set theory. So that was the tradition uh, in which uh, the whole of mathematics was uh, thought to be fundamentally reducible to certain uh, axioms of set theory. So what Godel in that context did is that he undermined the entire uh, entire efforts made, I mean, which were just underway at that time. His incompleteness theorem tried, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I mean, gave a heavy blow to the entire uh, to the entire tradition of axiomatizing the entire system of mathematics uh, in such a way that we can't now say a system of math mathematics is, uh, I mean, is complete or it can ever be uh, axiomatized uh, in such a manner that we can have a complete description of the entire system. So I say the same thing for. Uh, the, the system, uh, the, formal, the formalistic system designed for natural language in the sense that I also feel uh, the system of the formalistic, the formal system of language that has been devised, that has been developed over the uh, period of, uh, of the last, of the, of the period of last uh, five or six decades, the efforts are I think parallel or in many ways orthogonal to the efforts uh, made by uh, different mathematical logicians in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries. So I feel uh, uh, this tradition has given its roots, especially in uh, formalizing uh, various concepts of, uh, of formal linguistics, and it has helped, of course, in uh, understanding a lot of linguistic phenomena in, in in compact terms. In compact terms, in the sense that by divorcing semantics and matters of interpretation and keeping them outside the box, 
um, we have also we have we have we have been able to understand a lot about uh, linguistic phenomena. But I but I point out that uh, this has come at a cost. Once the formalism has become uh, more and more complex and more and more elaborate, uh, we see that the formalism has uh, tended towards uh, a kind of axiomatization where we feel uh, the axiomatization can, com can completely uh, cover, I mean, can exhaust all possible principles um, of, uh, of natural language. But actually, the, this turns out to be false. False in the sense uh, that uh, the axioms, uh, when they are given free play, tend to generate a number of uh, disastrous paradoxes and logical inconsistencies within. And if that is so, uh, no matter how compact uh, our accounts of the linguistic phenomena are, the formalism itself crumbles in the face of linguistic phenomena. That's what I've tried to show in, in the book. But presumably, uh, in this case, there should be, and indeed you sort of canvas um, an approach to how there might be, there should be some formalism um, that we could imagine that would be immune somehow from these problems. Or, or do you think that, that's, that we're essentially trying to formalize things that are unformalizable in the same sense as, as Gödel argued? Okay. Uh, well, what Gödel tried to show is that there are some propositions, mathematical propositions, which uh, are true, but they cannot be proved to be true within the system itself. Now, if I carry it forward to the uh, formal system of language developed over the periods, especially within the generative tradition, what I find uh, is that there are some uh, <clears throat> some valid propositions about natural language, especially natural language phenomena, or, 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 or precisely about natural language grammar, which are valid, but at the same time, they cannot be probed to be uh, computable within uh, the putative computational machinery proposed for natural for, for natural language grammar. So I say the I say a similar thing uh, uh, for this system. So somehow, somehow what I feel is that uh, any system, any formal system for natural language, if it, if it tries to be complete and if it tries to uh, tries to capture the notion of computability in its intrinsic sense, as I have defined it in, in the book, uh, I am I'm, I'm sure uh, such a notion of uh, formal system is uh, destined to collapse. Uh, the reason is uh, very simple. The reason is that uh, we can, of course, have uh, certain formalisms which uh, which uh, don't weigh uh, com computability to uh, to mentalism. For example, if you look at uh, the kind of formalism it's in, say, sign-based construction grammar, uh, which was uh, developed by Ivan Sack. So that kind of formalism doesn't have that problem because the entire uh, mentalistic uh, approach has been um, developed in such a manner that the mind has been sort of detached from the formalism itself. So the formalism is uh, at, at, at a level which is uh, different or maybe at a higher level than what you what you see, let's let's say in in, in the mind. So so I, I I feel there could be formalisms which uh, which don't um, don't uh, inherit the same problems. So I think uh, there could be some formalisms. Just to pursue the analogy in, in one more way of, of the, yeah. the development of um, mathematical formalism, um, something else that struck me is that there is a sense of I mean, we have mathematics in spite of incompleteness. That it's a problem that you know, particularly afflicts. Well, I, I speak as an outsider, but my impression is it particularly afflicts yeah. certain areas. Yeah. Uh, what would be the key uh, issues of, of active 
research interest in linguistics that you feel this work is particularly undermining or particularly problematic for? Well, uh, if you uh, look at the recent developments, especially in Chomsky linguistic linguistics, what what you find to be remarkably uh, evident is that uh, people are now trying to uh, reduce uh, empirical adequacy along with descriptive adequacy to uh, matters of computation. I mean, one is not talking about uh, optimal computation and then trying to reduce uh, the design features of language as well as uh, different uh, facets of uh, empirical linguistic phenomena to the way computations operate uh, in the language faculty. Now, I feel uh, this assumption is fundamentally mistaken, mainly because uh, the Turing machine in its, in its mathematical conception itself uh, contains its own problem. I mean, it, the problem that is intrinsic to it, that is the halting problem. Now, the halting problem is, is something like this. I mean, a Turing machine, uh, no matter how complicated it is, can never determine or can never define an algorithm which can say uh, another arbitrary algorithm uh, which, uh, which defines a program. Um, that, that program will uh, terminate in a reasonable am amount of time. So, there, so, so even if we define an algorithm based on uh, the notion of Turing machine, we cannot have a definition of an algorithm that can tell us that there will be a program that will uh, terminate in a reasonable amount of time. Now, if uh, we try to uh, carry over the notion of computation, we must also inherit uh, uh, the halting problem that is intrinsic to any Turing machine. So now when one does so, one also invites the problem of the halting problem. And so far as I have observed, um, the mainstream uh, formalist uh, brand of linguistics has never uh, try to grapple with this problem. Um, this, this is more so because in modern, um, especially in recent uh, formulations, I see that some people have also tried to say the language faculty is itself a version of the Turing machine. And there have been such formulations, although Chomsky doesn't explicitly say so, but uh, even, if, even if he says uh, the language faculty uh, is a computing device, it computes. So no matter what commitment he has to uh, the kind of computational view he advocates, he has to have uh, a conception of the Turing machine, especially when he says uh, the language faculty computes. So I, I feel uh, any description that takes uh, the linguistic system to be a computing device while being a mental system in, uh, in the first place is going to, is bound to, uh, um, I mean, is bound to uh, get into severe trouble. So this is what I think. Um, just, to, just to amplify that point, uh, when we talk about, I mean, my impression is when people talk rather casually about such and such being a computing device, they're often rather uncommitted as to precisely what they mean by that. But that's not a defense that you think um, applies in any meaningful sense to this literature. Am I right? Yes. Uh, well, um, if, you, if you look at Chomsky's writings, uh, so far as uh, I think... Chomsky has always defended a view of computation that is more in tune with the abstract uh, logical notion of computation, which has been developed by people like uh, uh, Emily Post, uh, Alan de Church, and uh, people like even uh, Kurt Gödel. 
he doesn't uh, strictly speaking adopt the notion of uh, Turing machines in its uh, proper form. While it is also true that uh, the um, the abstract notion of computation is perfectly compatible, or in fact, in many ways equivalent to the um, the Turing machine view of computation, which is a dynamic view of computation. So, in so far as uh, the two views are compatible, and in fact, uh, in many ways equivalent to each other, uh, even if one doesn't uh, make any commitment to the view of uh, computation in terms of Turing machines, one must have to embrace uh, the problems that are inherent to computation as such, no matter uh, whether uh, one adopts uh, the abstract view of computation or the uh, dynamic view of computation as implicit in uh, the notion of theory machines. So um, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, is it the case that researchers in syntax have, have um, ignored this question or have they not been aware of it or do you feel they've really under underestimated the foundational importance of it? Well, uh, I would not exactly say so because I feel uh, there have been uh, some precedent uh, accounts in which uh, I see some glimmerings of such criticisms, especially uh, in, as I said, uh, the book, The Vastness of Natural Language, uh, written by uh, Terence Langendwin and Paul Postel. There, they have tried to debunk the very idea that uh, uh, natural language grammar, I mean, the, the formal system is a constructed system, so it is not equivalent to Turing machines. It must be more powerful than Turing machines. The other idea uh, that uh, that is much earlier, of course, uh, can be found in um, in, in a person called Esai uh, Konen. So I think he was one of the first uh, persons to uh, notice uh, some fundamental problems with the axiomatic exim system itself. Yeah, I mean, the axiomatic system that has been um, that has been developed uh, in Chomsky. So I feel somehow um, there have been some some works which have noticed the, this problem in in places. But so far as I see, no uh, no work so till date has uh, provided a detailed uh, critique. Of the very basis of, I mean, of the axioms, uh, and by giving them free play, that is, by 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 accepting all the axioms with all their constraints, and then saying, well, I accept all the accepts, uh, axioms of the theory of the system, and then see how uh, how how they turn turn out to work in 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 dealing with natural language phenomena. So, so ultimately, I feel uh, it's not that uh, people have not noticed it at all. There have been people who have noticed it, but yes, um, nobody, to my knowledge, has provided a detailed critique uh, by showing internal logical consistencies, by connecting them to linguistic phenomena in detail. So that's what I think. It's um, also my impression that, it, uh, that that area of the field has been somewhat prone to Dispute and and um, hostility rather than cooperation. Do you feel that it's a difficult uh, a difficult area in which to gain attention for problematic claims? Well, uh, that's a good question. I would say um, this is an uh, this is an area when uh, people are moving away from um, let's say uh, questions which are just internal to linguistics or theoretical linguistics proper. One is now dealing with questions of, let's say, uh, cognitive uh, implementation. So one is now dealing with the questions that uh, pertain to, um, I mean, cognitive science in a broader sense. So now now we have entered, uh, um, I, mean, I mean, a period in which I think uh, 
people have been debating questions uh, which let's say uh, which let's say uh, concentrate or, or say highlight uh, questions of uh, learnability questions of uh, language acquisition and also um, questions about the in the interface that connects syntax and semantics and how these questions uh, illuminate uh, the very nature of human cognition but in our quest for the very very uh, format uh, that human cognition um, has we have sort of moved away from questions that used to be asked uh, let's say uh, 20 or 30 years back when people used to ask about the very fundamental basis of certain uh, certain issues uh, which uh, which uh, which, uh, which uh, turned out to not to be peripheral to the entire enterprise rather they, they turned out to be uh, to be central to the to to the very practice uh, of, of of the paradigm itself but right now uh, um, i i somehow personally feel that uh, we should perhaps look back and then uh, try to try to examine uh, the fundamental axioms that we we had accepted uh, long back and then we have just uh, sort of i mean ignored uh, those uh, those fundamental uh, questions while uh, trying to make a progress in our understanding of uh, the relation between language and cognition so i feel somehow unless we address uh, the fundamental questions by looking back uh, the very notion of an interface uh, between language and cognition will also be shrouded in uh, mystery so somehow no matter um, no matter how much progress we make uh, in trying to uh, understand uh, um, the relation between language and cognition and no matter how sophisticated or how advanced our tools uh, somehow we'll fall behind in trying to understand uh, the very basis of the machinery that we have ourselves constructed in order to understand natural language grammar and in all in also in order to understand how um, that system of grammar connects to the human mind so if we resolve the puzzles that um, that arise from 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 the basis itself so unless we resolve those puzzles i don't think we can uh, make good progress in understanding the connection between language and um, language and human cognition so somehow i feel uh, this has a modern relevance as well even though uh this day is nobody uh, will perhaps be very interested in uh, in looking into the integrity of these uh, fundamental issues mm-hmm. um in later in the book you sketch an architecture of grammar that you suggest might resolve some of the, the fundamental issues that your fundamental problems that you're uh, encountering or identifying with the uh, existing system what are its relevant features well uh, this architecture as i have presented in the book is not strictly speaking an alternative to let's say any um, any uh, any existing architecture developed by theoretical linguists rather i would say this is a kind of uh, meta theoretical uh, formal i mean formulation of some uh, principles that can tell us a lot about theories of grammar that means it is it is a kind of idealization of a kind of meta theoretic um, view which uh, which which tells us uh, more how 
theories of language would look like rather than how they should not look like. So the architecture uh, <clears throat> has been developed um, with another purpose in mind that is what, what I've said in the book is that uh, the system of the psychological architecture of language uh, should be divorced from an axiomatic system of language. That means when you describe uh, the system of grammar in an axiomatic way, you have your axiomatic system on the one hand, on the other hand you have uh, the psychological architectural language. So I say keep them separate because uh, the psychological architecture is ultimately grounded in the human mind. and since it is grounded in the human mind or brain, it must have to be a finite system. So it, it invites all the uh, limitations of the human brain and we have to accept that. But at the same time, it is also true when we develop a system of, a formal system of grammar, it has certain axiomatic properties which let, which, uh, which let us express uh, some infinitary concepts of language, so infinitary ex expressions in infinitary uh, extensions um, in um, in linguistic phenomena. So when we develop an axiomatic system, we find the problem of infinite extension because any axiomatic system can lead to infinite extensions. But that's something which cannot be, strictly speaking, be made compatible with a finitary system. So that's why I, I as I have argued in the book, these two systems must be kept separate. And um, the, the architecture that has been delineated in the book is just a guide uh, to, the, to, the, to the outline of such an architecture. And on the other hand, it is, it is designed to show how the uh, properties of the psychological architecture of language can be fully translated into, let's say, uh, some meta-theoretical uh, principles, axioms, and constraints of grammar in in a general sense. So what I've done, what I've uh, what I've tried to do here is that uh, you take the psychological um, architecture of language and you try to translate the mechanisms of the language in your uh, axiomatic system, and you do it in such a manner that there will be kind of a translation and transparency between the two systems. And this translation and uh, transparency, as I've argued, is achieved. Uh, because of something called um, our uh, intentional projection, the way we project intentionality uh, uh, to various things. And these things could be abstract entities or even concrete entities uh, out there in the world. So what I've tried to show here is that once you have developed a formal, syst formal system, the formal system must have to be somehow related to the psychological architecture language and vice versa. And uh, that architecture developed is just to show how that translation can be achieved by showing that uh, there exists a kind of transparency between, uh, between these two systems. So that's what I've tried to do. Could you um, elaborate a bit on that? You mentioned that the notion of intentionality. Um, how do you see that? Well, uh, <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, in the book, uh, I have not, uh, I haven't actually provided a completely, um, I would say, completely, completely detailed account of how intentionality does help us in, let's say, projecting the psychological architecture to the higher 
descriptive level where we developed uh, the axiomatic system of language. So what I've argued uh, in brief is that there's intentionality whereby we, um, I mean, whereby our mental states are directed at certain things. And these things could be either uh, in our own mind or maybe outside in the, uh, in the world. So I say this, it is the directedness of intentionality which has been missing in uh, linguistic theory. And I say it is this intentionality which uh, helps uh, project uh, the psychological architecture to a higher level of description where we have the axiomatic system. On the other hand, it also helps ground uh, the axiomatic system in, uh, in, in the mind. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, try to explain this with uh, one example from, let's say, the system of arithmetic. Suppose you have uh, an intentional with this description of, let's say, um, the set of all uh, odd numbers, right? So once we have an intentional description of the set of odd numbers, we'll say, well, uh, the set is, set is uh, set, the set contains members, members uh, with the variable x, such that x uh, cannot be divided um, by two. Now, this is an intentional description, and we know that uh, once we try to find out its extension, the extension will be uh, infinite, because the set of all possible odd numbers um, will, of course, be infinite. Now, the point is that uh, this description is something that has to be uh, ultimately grounded in the mind, because it is the mind that ultimately uh, does the projection of the, I mean, does the projection, I mean, it takes part in, 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 in the projection of this infinite extension. So I say the same thing here. I say, uh, once you have the axiomatic system, which can allow for infinite extensions, uh, you face the problem of grounding it in the mind. So I say that grounding is, uh, is possible only when you have intentionalities in, in place. So once you have intentionality, which gives you directedness of mental states towards uh, uh, certain things, which could be mental or non-mental, you, you sort of solve the problem of uh, projection, mental projection. So, uh, so it is intentional projection which helps the psychological architecture of language to, to project the, project, uh, the axiomatic system to its infinite extension. I hope um, it's, uh, it's uh, intelligible. I think so. Yes. Thank you. Turning back to the, the status of your model as a, as a, um, as a meta-theoretical construct, uh, how do you see that being used? Is that something that you feel should be, or might be useful as a guideline for uh, theories or as a tool of evaluation of theories or, or something else? Uh, well, uh, that's, a, that's a relevant question here. So what I thought here is that... Um, the guidelines uh, proposed uh, and formulated in, in the met meta-theoretical um, architecture that, uh, that has been formalized in, um, in, in, in rough details. So what I've thought here is that it can provide guidelines to how we actually make, uh, let's say, um, formal theories of language. I mean, when we actually go about making formal theories of language, we pay attention to to certain things like um, let's say when I'm developing a formal system of language. So my I have to pay attention to a few things. That is, um, 
does it import uh, does the system import the notion of computability the first question that would of course arise here the second question how would such a system be related to the mind the third question uh, how would such a system be able to account for let's say uh, linguistic data uh, that i mean that's why you also uh, invite the question of explanation so uh, ultimately the entire formulation will be will i mean will provide i mean in i, I mean in my conception guidelines to how one could uh, answer the questions um, i just raised so somehow i feel uh, this can answer questions to how um, language at all can be related to the human mind how language uh, i mean a, a formal theory of language can um, resolve issues uh, which uh, crop up in connection with computability or computations per se and also how such a formal theory will be able to um, achieve a kind of descriptive adequacy by by being able to to account for different kinds of linguistic uh, phenomena so ultimately it has to achieve uh, a kind of descriptive uh, and also explanatory power as well so that's what i think from the point of view of people working within existing theoretical frameworks is this something that calls for radical foundational upheaval or is this something that can be in some sense uh taken into consideration when when developing those systems i mean how do you, how do you see for your preference how would you like to see this this some um, theoretical discipline evolving well uh i think uh, linguistics has um, as a discipline i mean especially theoretical linguistics has made uh, progress uh, to the extent uh, that um, it can pose um, various questions about uh, let's say um, the computational um, nature of language learning the computational la- nature of let's say uh, natural language grammar the nature of um, the, the the component the mental component called uh, lang- the language faculty in the mind and how it operates how it uh, it it, it uh, interfaces with the other domains of cognition in the human mind so uh, we are now beginning to realize more and more uh, that we can um, we can resolve know uh, in fact um, rather than resolving issues which now bother us we can now ask questions which we were not able to ask let's say 30 or 40 years back so we are now able to ask questions about let's say the cognitive uh, com- computations that the, that arise in connection with uh, language we also raise questions about uh, the very nature of uh, the processing mechanism that obtain especially when one uh, processes uh, language we also ask questions about how to how to tie uh, aspects of pragmatics to to linguistic theory in such a manner that we can uh, have a unified theory of both uh, pragmatics and let's say uh, semantics and at the same time we also are now geared up to ask questions about how how to um, raise basic questions about about the basic format of the interface that connects uh, language to other cognitive domains such as vision uh, the motor system uh, or even uh, other perceptual systems 
So given that we are now geared up to uh, raise various questions about uh, um, about um, the connection between language and other cognitive domains and also the very nature of language, its statistical properties, its computational properties, its psychological implementation and uh, things of that sort, also its neurological instantiation. So I hope uh, somehow we have arrived um, at a stage where we are in a better shape in understanding questions of uh, questions of relevance to uh, modern uh, theoretical inquiries in linguistics and also in cognitive science. And in such a context, I feel the questions uh, of fundamental importance that uh, I raise in the book will be far more relevant than they were before because we now have a better grasp of the very things that we were quarreling about, quarreling about just uh, let's say 20 or 30 years back. So we now have a better grasp of, of the computational nature of language learning, the computational nature of even our cognitive processing. So since uh, we have under, we have um, made great strides towards uh, such goals, I hope uh, the questions uh, that we can ask uh, can become more and more complex and the answers that we look forward to will also be, I think, far more elaborate and far more uh, insightful. So with that uh, hope, I, I, I think, uh, I think uh, we are moving um, toward an era where we can ask questions which uh, tie the fundamental questions in theoretical linguistics with questions of relevance in, let's say, computer science and, uh, and of course, in uh, cognitive science in a broader sense. So um, that's what I feel is uh, important to you. Have you uh, have you found people receptive to your work thus far in the in the light of that um, disposition towards uh, trying to solve these issues? Uh, well, uh, so far as I'm concerned, uh, I have interacted with uh, various people um, in generative grammar, including uh, Chomsky and uh, Kyle Johnson and people of that sort. I've also interacted with Ray Jackendorf, who I have been influenced by. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I've often observed is that uh, when one tries to raise uh, fundamental questions about the very foundation about the very foundations of the entire enterprise, one often uh, just uh, bends back and then tries to tries to show that uh, somehow uh, linguistics has proceeded to a stage where such questions may not be of much importance because because uh, the advancement of ideas has taken a shape which is not ripe for such uh, such uh, such investigations. But somehow I feel uh, I would differ with them in many ways because uh, because as I said I I, I think um, no matter how advanced um, our theory has become unless we go back and just um, look at the philosophical foundations of the very questions that um, that gave rise to uh, to the very enterprise in the first place we cannot probably um, uh, be be bl be, bl be blind and just go on to do good syntax of good semantics and even good phonology somehow we have to deal with questions which uh, pertain uh, to uh, the fundamental issues uh, that arise from uh, the problems emanating, emanating from the system itself. 
and unless we do so i think uh, we'll reach a stage where uh, people will just uh, will just do good linguistics but uh, people will not uh, ask uh, questions which actually gave rise to linguistics in its first place so i think it is high time that we we change we alter the way we uh, look at language uh, by re-questioning um, the very foundations of, of, the, of, of the theory. So overall I feel people uh, in the discipline have not been quite receptive to this idea that I'm trying to, trying to articulate in my work. Nevertheless, it seems to me you're quite optimistic about the future of the discipline. Uh, well, 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 yes. I mean, in a sense, uh, as I said, um, we we are in an era where we are now talking about uh, the Internet of Things. We are talking about various kinds of computations. Uh, I mean, which uh, which which extend beyond our our um, our familiar domain. So we are entered a, a an age where we can ask various questions about uh, about cognition, which we are not able to able to even ask. So. And even linguistics as a discipline in its theoretical form has also um, has also gone beyond the very debates that um, that centered upon, let's say, uh, the syntax versus semantics uh, controversy, the pragmatics versus uh, uh, semantics controversy, and also the UG versus uh, uh, non-UG uh, conceptions of language language learning. So I think we are moving away. Uh, and we are also going beyond all all such distinctions. And so, uh, in an era where we are just obliterating such distinctions, it is high time that we we we, we look back and and then we try to figure out how uh, the foundations really work out. So, I mean, I, I I strongly feel we should examine examine the 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 foundational um, questions and then relook at the issues that that gave rise to the enterprise when Chomsky himself uh, decimated behaviorism in Toto and, and then uh, ushered in an era of cognitivism. So since we are living in an era where we are, we are also raising questions about the enacted or embodied conceptions of, of, of the human mind, I think, um, we, I mean, we should now look at uh, various aspects of the axiomatic system, which has been developed over the period by various people in its various avatars. So somehow, uh, unless we examine uh, the various aspects and facets of different axiomatic systems that have been developed so far, uh, somehow um, it would seem that we are we are developing a lot in our understanding of various empirical phenomena without. Uh, really questioning the very of the very system which uh, sort of buttresses uh, uh, buttresses um, various kinds of descriptions of, of linguistic phenomena. So somehow I am hopeful. I am also optimistic about it. So I feel uh, such questions will prove to be uh, conducive to theoretical developments in future. At the same time, it would also help understand the very nature of language in its intrinsic sense because with with especially with the advent of uh, Noam Chomsky in generative grammar uh, we have come to raise questions about the very nature of language in its intrinsic sense 
And this is something uh, which we were not able to ask, uh, let's say, uh, 50 or 60 years back. So if that is the case, so this uh, book tries to make a step forward to that goal and then says, well, why not um, try to deep, dig deeper into the intrinsic nature of language itself by trying to see whether it is uh, computational in its intrinsic sense and at the same time uh, mental at all. So, but, but, the, but the conclusion that I have reached is that uh, no natural language grammar or no system, no formal system of grammar can be intrinsically mental and computational at the same time. So such questions, I, I would say, are still relevant to, uh, to I mean, to, to modern linguistics. So they are still relevant in, in our, uh, in our uh, present day context. So, so that's what I, I feel here. Our time is nearly up. I'd like to conclude by asking you what your own future plans are. What are you, what are you working on at the moment? Uh, right now, I'm working on another book which uh, tries to show that biological grounding is unnecessary for um, natural language grammar in the sense that it doesn't help us in understanding uh, the very uh, nature of human cognition. That means to understand the very nature of the basic format of human cognition, we don't need to go via biology to human cognition. Natural language has enough complexity in itself. I mean, I would say it has enough logical complexity in itself, uh, which, which can illuminate the very uh, texture of human cognition. So uh, the so this is what um, I'm trying to uh, argue in my recent book that I'm that I'm working on right now. Well, I very much look forward to it, and I'm sure it'll find a, a fascinated audience. And now let me say, Prakash Mandal, many thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you a lot. I've been talking to Prakash Mondal about language, mind, and computation. This is Chris Cummins for New Books in Language saying thank you for listening. 